Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I have mentioned previously on this broadcast that my daughter was pregnant with her first child. Regular listeners may recall that she broke her back some years ago. God, in his mercy, allowed the surgeon at Jackson Memorial Hospital Trauma Center perfect procedure, and she has had almost 100% recovery. Now she's married and has had her first baby. Naturally, my wife and I were a little concerned remembering the anxiety and the prayers that were sent on her behalf as she went through the grueling operation and intensive recuperation period following the breaking of her back. As we often remind ourselves in such dire circumstances, it is during such occasions when our faith is being severely tested that we must lean on God for support. Remember, he has promised not to send us more than we are able to bear and will, with the test, provide a way to escape. But all this must be taken from an eternal perspective, with a supernatural flavor and with total unwavering dependency on the Holy Spirit. In Romans, there is a portion that in many respects, I think, speaks to this kind of situation. Listen to Paul's comforting yet challenging words. We are saved by trusting, he says. And trusting means looking forward to getting something we don't yet have. For a man who already has something doesn't need to hope and trust that he will get it. But if we must keep trusting God for something that hasn't happened yet, it teaches us to wait patiently and confidently. And in the same way, by our faith, the Holy Spirit helps us with our daily problems and in our praying. For we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with such feeling that it cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows, of course, what the Spirit is saying as he pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. And we know that all that happens to us is working for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. Several things stand out. We must confidently trust God in our circumstances, Paul said. The Holy Spirit also helps us to pray in God's will, since we never know all the right things to say. And knowing that God works in all our situations to bring good when we are fitting into his plans, it is very hard at the time, I know, when we face these human emotions and circumstances. But we must learn to trust God, who will give us the desires of our heart when we learn to obey. Can't wait until something bad happens to learn to trust him, though. We need to be very accomplished at this task and already able to trust because one never knows when such tragedies or emergencies may happen. Here's our first song call.
We had some samples sent to us at our shop, which my wife and I found to be very innovative. My wife zeroed in on one of them in particular. Let me describe it to you. It is a printed card with a message for a certain occasion. There were several different situations provided, and each card had an opening in which one can place an appropriate photograph to memorialize and personalize the specific occasion for which the card was designed. It is suitable for framing. Let me explain why my wife chose this one particular card. The printed message is directed to the new baby. Listen to the printed words beside the space for the photograph. We took your first picture, for we couldn't wait to witness the miracle God would create. What a privilege it was in those very first weeks just to get acquainted and take a few peeks. A life all so precious and such a delight. We knew in our hearts it was love at first sight. It made it so easy to choose pink or blue and no one is going to be loved more than you. Well, now this headline in the card in lovely large letters above declares fearfully and wonderfully made from the scriptures, of course. The innovation and the thing that really impressed us is that all this is designed to accommodate the very first scan of the new baby. So into the appropriate place, my wife put the incredible 3D scan showing our newest granddaughter. We knew it was a girl when we saw the scans, so they named her Keris, a Welsh word for love. It is indeed a first photo, though not in the expected meaning, and certainly she is fearfully and wonderfully made right from her conception and development within my daughter's womb. As I write these words, we are in Mountain View, California, awaiting the magic moment. Pray for us and share the excitement as we watch for her birth and pray that God will allow a normal birth and her previously broken back and scars will not hinder the process of this miraculous thing that God has allowed, the birth of this exciting gift from him. And now with his message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. What does Jesus think of divorce and remarriage? That's the question we will seek to answer as we continue in our series entitled, What does Jesus think? Our thesis being that Jesus, as Lord of our lives, not only expects but demands that we think and so live out in our lives his thoughts on the issues of life that confront us on a daily basis. Our text is the teaching of Jesus as recorded in the book of Matthew that we traditionally call the Sermon on the Mount. However, as mentioned in an earlier message, I prefer the designation the teaching on the amount. It covers three chapters in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. So far in our series, we have considered what Jesus thinks about anger and adultery. Today, we want to consider what he thinks about divorce and remarriage, the issues he deals with in verses 31 and 32 of Matthew chapter 5, and which follows naturally from the issue of lust and adultery. Now, my friends, it's absolutely amazing that after 2,000 years, the Bible, and in particular the words of Jesus, are as relevant 
timely and authoritative as they were when originally spoken. Here then, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. I read first from the King James Version. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. End of quote. The Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day taught what we might call today divorce for all without exception. But Jesus came along, and he now teaches no divorce at all, with one exception. The scribes and Pharisees assumed that divorce was a lawful option. They only quibbled over the grounds for divorce. Some felt that a man could divorce his wife for virtually any reason, others only for marital impurity or unfaithfulness. Their interest was entirely legal and procedural, not spiritual or loving. The problem passage for them was Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, and the interpretation of the phrase, some indecency in verse 1. Now, here's how the passage reads in the New American Standard Version. The entire four verses constitute one long, complex sentence. Listen, then, to the Word of God. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turn against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or... If the latter husband dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, because she has been defiled. And for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. End of quote. Now, in actual fact, this passage does not address the matter of divorce specifically. What it does address is the issue of remarriage. However, as regards to divorce, one school of Jewish thought interpreted the sum indecency clause as referring to as adultery or some other serious act of sexual immorality. On the other hand, another school of Jewish thought took it to mean anything the husband may find unsatisfactory or displeasing to him, even burning her food or raising her voice to him. As a result, women were much abused and many were left destitute because of what Jesus called the hardness or primitiveness of their hearts. You see, the men who used this right because they were the only ones who had the legal right at this time to the wars. They actually abused their wives by actually leaving them destitute and abandoned. In other words, the issuing of the certificate or bill of divorcement was intended by Moses to put a curb on the almost foolish way and careless way 
in which a Jewish man put away their wives one by one and literally put them out into the streets. It was not meant to encourage or to endorse a divorce, but rather to lessen its devastating effects on the lives of women. And so Deuteronomy 24 was a prohibition of remarriage to a former husband if another marriage had taken place in between. You know, it's somewhat ironic that today some divorce their spouse in order to get money. Isn't that strange? There's no fear of not getting money with a divorce today. It's how much we get. But back then, in this time, in the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' day, when a woman was divorced by a man, she had nothing. She was destitute. Now, notice the emphasis of the traditional teaching in verse 31. It says, quote, And it was said, Whoever sends away his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. In other words, their emphasis was on what we would call the exception clause, which in their thinking allowed and even encouraged divorce if they felt they were the offended party. Jesus, however, refused to explain or expound on the exception, only to mention it. He emphasized the principle of God's abiding attitude and view toward divorce in general. It was a principle that was inherent in God's purpose for marriage from its very beginning and inception in Eden. In Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus again deals with this issue upon being questioned by the Jews as to what was the basis for divorce, Jesus refused to speak on the issue of divorce, but instead he went back to the divine intention of marriage. Listen to his words in Matthew chapter 19, verse 7. Quote, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. End of quote. In other words, granted, Jesus says, God through Moses had permitted divorce, not commanded it, as the scribes asserted. But he did it due to the hardness of man's hearts because of the abusive way in which they were using their wives. The divine purpose for marriage, as described in Genesis, was that one man and one woman should be permanently united until separated by death. In the light of this purpose, Jesus makes a statement which was designed to discourage any divorce at all, except in one specific and narrow instance. Listen to his words. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. End of quote. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Now, my friends, it is important to understand this verse very clearly. Some teach that both the initiator of the divorce and the one divorced are made adulterous automatically. And the one who marries a divorced person also commits adultery by doing so. However, it appears to me that the verse is best rendered in this way, and I give a paraphrase. Quote, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for porneia, the word unchastity or fornication is used in tran some translation, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for porneia, 
causes her to be stigmatized as adulteress or exposes her to adultery. And anyone who marries a woman so divorced commits adultery. I believe that's the point here. And so the primary originating sin is that of the one who puts away his wife. In other words, the sin is upon the one who initiates the divorce. In other words, unbiblical or unlawful divorce leads to the sin of adultery on the part of the initiator of that divorce. But it puts the divorced person in a position where, should she seek marriage to another, she would become an adulteress. Now, of course, the same would be true in the case of a woman being the initiator, which, although not allowed by law in Jesus' day, becomes the law shortly thereafter. And so, a summary of Jesus' teaching in Matthew concerning divorce may be stated as follows. First, the traditional Jewish view of divorce was the actual committing of the act, verse 31. In other words, adultery was not involved as far as they were concerned. However, Jesus' view was and is adultery is involved in the act of divorcement. And that was his primary lesson to these legalistically minded Pharisees. Divorce is an adulterous act. Second, divorce without porneia, whatever that Greek word may mean, as we saw it is translated uh, adultery or fornication. We'll talk about that later. But divorce without porneia causes adultery of the spouse divorced. That's verse 32. Thirdly, divorce with porneia does not cause adultery. That's verse 32 also. And then fourthly, marriage to a divorced person is always adulterous. The point of the passage then is not that the basis for divorce, as some would like to claim, but rather it is that unwarranted divorce and remarriage after divorce are both violations of the seventh commandment and it is equal to adultery. In other words, although divorce is always wrong, it is not always adulterous. However, remarriage by a divorced person as well as to a divorced person is always adulterous. That's the teaching of the passage. Matthew alone equates divorce itself as being adulterous. Mark and Luke combines the acts of divorce and remarriage as being necessary for adultery to take place. This could be because of Jesus' emphasis on the thoughts and intents of the heart in this section and his stated demand that the righteousness of the subjects of his kingdom must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus holds that the husband who initiates the divorce, that he is responsible for his wife's committing adultery, as well as the man who marries her. In this case, the exception clause is simply underlying the fact that if a woman commits porneia, it is she, not her husband, who is to be held responsible for her adulterous act, should she remarry. She and her second husband, not her first husband, would be guilty of adultery. This is repeated, this statement or principle in Luke chapter 16, verse 18. It says, Whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband commits adultery. Now, one important fact is often overlooked here in Jesus' teaching. 
It is the fact that Jesus does not simply condemn divorce as wrong in Matthew 5.32. He says the legal procedure does not dissolve the marriage union. In other words, remarriage, despite the legal form of divorce, is adultery. This is in keeping with Malachi's teaching. Listen to the word of God in Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. And this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. End of quote. In other words, the divorce was meaningless as far as God was concerned. The wives put away by sinful husbands were still their wives by divine covenant. This is the concept Jesus validates in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Malachi gives the conclusion of God's mind concerning divorce at the close of the Old Testament revelation, and he does it in verses 15 and 16. Listen to him. Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. End of quote. In other words, giving a divorce is a treacherous act. God hates divorce, as he does all sin, of course. It is a wrong and a treacherous action on the part of the initiator. This is also what Jesus thinks about divorce in the gospel. He hates it, as he does all sin, and he counsels his disciples not to do it, whatever the cost. My friends, that's what Jesus thinks about divorce. Should you, should we not think the same way if you, if we are his disciple? Next time, Lord's willing, we will continue this study on divorce by looking at the meaning of the Greek word porneia, which is translated fornication or adultery, and with other words, by different translation. You see, this word is important in understanding what the exception clause really is, because Jesus says that's the only exception for divorce. So next time, then, we look at this meaning of porneia. Until then, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. 
I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again